Hello, listeners. While we take a short break recording more stories from the people and places that have inspired us the most, we'd like to share with you some of our favourite episodes from the last year. This month, I'd like to reshare with you a very special episode. I was delighted to be joined by British author, journalist, adventurer, documentary filmmaker, television presenter, all-round explorer, Simon Reeve. This was such a special episode. Simon shared lots of his experiences and stories from all around the globe, and he delved into the places that have captured his heart the most. He talks about travels independently, he talks about travelling with his family and his son, and what he feels the future of travel looks like. I really enjoyed this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. This is Passport 2, People and Places. Brought to you by Jules Verne. Taking you around the world, sharing memories and introducing you to the people at the heart of everything we do. I'm Abby, and in this series, I'll be delving into past adventures, inside stories, future journeys, inspiring you to discover the wonders of the world. Simon, thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. It really does mean a lot. It's... um. It's really exciting. Oh, that's very sweet of you. I'm, really I'm delighted to be a part of it. Thank oh, you for having me on. Thank you. So, first of all, the one thing that I definitely want to talk to you about is, um, you may not know, but we were the first company to take the first British group of tourists to China. So, our founder, he was actually named by the Times as a one of the first pioneers of travel. But my question to you is, how do you feel being a modern-day 21st century pioneer and adventurer it must be amazing oh, i don't think of myself like that at all to be yeah. honest no no i i, I mean i love it and i'll if it, I, I love you saying it um but i genuinely really don't i mean obviously i go in as part of a team a small team and i'm generally at the front of our little pack as we're filming and going into places so I feel like I have a real connection with the place and the experience it's not faked it's not put together um with a pre-written script or anything like that we are making it up as we go along and they are genuine experiences and adventures but um no I mean if you want to say what the nice words you said then I'll gladly have them but no I mean I I think you I don't feel like that but at the same time, I do still feel there are adventures to be had. And I do think individually we can each have a proper adventure. I think there is a risk that we always look back on a previous time and think, oh, that was the period when adventures were most amazing, when, uh, I don't know, the stewards on trains wore white gloves and, and crystal tinkled in the, in the buffet car. No, I think that was a time when very few people actually could travel. And now uh, all our environmental concerns, slightly moving those to one side briefly, which of course we shouldn't, but just, just to accept the fact that we can travel on extraordinary journeys now. Almost everyone has the opportunity to go somewhere to do something. And that's, a, that's an amazing time. Yeah, it really is. I mean, for me, the thing that, came out of that the most was the fact that you are saying you you know you're a leader of a small pack but you are a pack and you do these amazing adventures with your your group yeah and what we do is group tours <laughs> yeah so in a way you're sort of your tour guide for your crew aren't you um but is there any sort of 
just thinking, is there any sort of moments or people that have particularly sort of captured your heart as your leader? Because you're going to these destinations and traveling these amazing journeys, taking your group, but you must have also have local guides and local people that you interact with. So is there anyone or any place that's particularly stuck with you? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> um, and I think it's an aspect of travel we need to constantly remind ourselves and others um, about and the, the absolute need to have that leadership, those guides, that, that somebody or something that helps you to interact with where you are and just gently nudges and points you in the right direction towards great experiences and, and memories. So when you say that, who do I think of? I think of uh, a guide called Larissa in a strange place called Transnistria, which I'm sure you're aware of, Abby. It's an unrecognised country between Ukraine and Moldova. It's basically a Soviet-era throwback. It broke away from Moldova. It's mired in conflict. Uh, it's a tricky place. But Larissa was this wonderful, calm, gentle English teacher. She was our guide because I think she was about the only person in Transnistria who spoke English. But she was so wonderful and she was so good at introducing us to the food, which was definitely curious. Their favourite food there, I remember, was one called Salo, which is uh, S-A-L-O, which is pig fat covered in chocolate. Wow. Come on now, that is unusual, isn't it? I'm there it? with the chocolate. Yeah, well, I don't know whether those are two foodstuffs that should ever be on the same menu, let alone the same plate. But it was interesting. You know, you've got to give it a try. She was very good at that. And then she was brilliant at getting us released from the clutches of the KGB when we were, when we were taken by them as we were attempting to film a secret Russian military base. And... Larissa heard that we'd been captured by the KGB and she turned up in the middle of the night at the KGB headquarters. And very luckily, I told her on this long journey how my family's only claim to fame is that my mum reckons we're distantly descended from Sir Christopher Wren somehow. And she was very impressed by this because she'd studied London as a module in Soviet times. So she turns up at the KGB headquarters and bangs on the door in the middle of the night, wakes up the KGB colonel, gets him out of bed and says to him, you cannot arrest these people. You will bring terrible shame on on Transnistria. He's related to the Queen of England. And that got us released from the prison cells of the KGB. So what can I say? Larissa, absolute hero. I, I love that. I love guides in general, but I love stories like that. And I think everyone comes back with guides with these stories of you've made a friendship for life, but an impression on you for mm. life. You're never going to forget. No one's ever going to forget that story. But there's so many people that touch your heart all around the world with little stories like that. They're, that's totally the case. And they're a really important part of the programs I make because yeah, we can read up about somewhere in advance. We can, we can watch everything that's been made. We can read everything that's been written. But still, you, it's astonishing how soon as you arrive somewhere, your preconceptions and learning and, oh, yes, I think this is how it is in Uganda. No, you, it's going to be almost instantly overturned. The army have an expression about how no plan survives direct contact with the enemy. And honestly, this is like, this is the, our uh, sort of motto for us doing what we do, because we're going to loads of different places. We're experiencing a ludicrous number of different experiences. We need the consistent thread of reliable guides to introduce us to places and hold our hand through them. And, you know, they're what really, they really help to make the programs uh, a treat to be involved in. 
So would that be your advice to our listeners? Choose the, you know, the best guides that you can, go to the best local places recommended by local people when they're travelling? I think... The advice, the, the basic advice I try and give people is get out of your comfort zone. And by that, I mean push yourself and your partner to do a little bit more, go a little bit further, maybe even take a little bit more risks than you are entirely comfortable with. The world is a very safe, welcoming place. That has been a real um, discovery for me since I started traveling extensively. And then I think if probably number two on my suggestion list is remember what people love most about travel and actually that's people we most love experiences out there where we're meeting our cousins somewhere strange somewhere remote somewhere exotic on planet earth and we're having those human interactions that just gives a little bit of a tingle remind us what's good about our species and give us something to bring home with i think there is a danger um in modern travel to be honest that we all get sequestered and and protected in resorts and in hotels that are a little bit nervy about us leaving and going outside but we've got to we've got to be a bit bold and we've got to claim our right to have the sort of experiences that really linger in the memory and yes you're absolutely right part of Getting those great experiences is engaging with other people. If you can afford it or if you're lucky enough to have a guide, if you can hire one, even for a day when you're in some places, that can be really eye-opening and memorable. It's not just them showing you where the loos are or where their favourite you know, restaurant is. It's, it's, it's almost opening the treasure chest lid and taking you into a whole different world. And a good guide tells you so much about the culture and the place and maybe a bit of the politics and the issues as well, which just help you to understand more of life on this planet. So absolutely, there is a risk that we think we can navigate our own journeys just through the internet or a guidebook. And actually, you need the human touch. You need to interact with human beings. And that is what will make your holiday, your adventure, your backpack, your luxury safari, whatever it is, much more memorable. One thing that I would like to mention is you, you've touched on it um, at the beginning is about sustainability. So as a group, you know, Jules Verne are part of the wider Curoni family. We have this real strong urge to make sure that our uh, holidays are more responsible. We travel better and we just see things in a better way. Um, with us, we're really conscious about the future of travel so we've had these amazing journeys in the past we've you know we were the first people to take a charter into syria we have customers who still want to go back to syria because they keep telling us it's a beautiful place mm. and they want to go back and we have all of these ideas but we have to be really conscious about our sustainable impact but with travel changing so much how do you see travel in the future and you've mentioned your son so do you have any dreams for him as an adventurer and a, a pioneer when he's older? What does travel look like for, for your 11-year-old when he's 20? Goodness, there's a lot in there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you're touching on the key things. The sustainable travel, of course, is absolutely critical. I think in that as well, you're talking about responsible travel as well. So where we spend our money. I've stayed in places where um, while we're there or after we've left, we've realised that the person who owns it is connected to a drug cartel or a dictatorship. And that leaves a very uh, nasty feeling in the stomach, quite frankly. In terms of sustainable travel, don't let, let me forget about my 11-year-old, but in I terms won't. of the sustainable aspect of travel, yeah, I think this is this is definitely something we need to be thinking and talking about as much, frankly, as much as we possibly can. Um, I start from the point that I know 
in my heart and through my head that we are living through uh, a climate emergency. I don't see how it could possibly be any more serious. It's absolutely fundamental to our existence on this planet. Of course, we have a footprint when we travel. We want to reduce that down as much as possible. I think we also need to highlight other industries that also have colossal footprints. The fashion clothing industry, for example, I think gets a very easy ride. Travel gets a bit of a hammering from people. Um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think that I've never met anyone involved in travel who wasn't wholesome, wonderful, and definitely not in it for the money. They're in it for human beings, for experiences, for, and for sharing the world with, with love and joy, to be honest. I think the other key aspect about travel that I really want people to remember is, is what travel puts back, not just into us individually, which is profound. It's absolutely vital for our well-being. I think it is almost... Uh, a human right, frankly. It's something we've been doing forever. Even before Jules Verne was sending people away, we've been traveling since the dawn of us. It's part of our who we are. But also it's critical for the places that we're sending people to and the places we're visiting. It's vital for tens of millions of people around the planet who put food on their family's table with that. In lots of poorer countries, that's the case. I was just hearing from minister from Fiji the other day, 40% of the economy of the country is travel and tourism. That's a staggering, staggering figure. But even beyond people's jobs, what you and I love about this planet, of its beauty, its landscapes, its iconic creatures, they are all so often dependent on travel and tourism for their survival. How is that? Well, because so many of them now only exist in what I call wildlife arcs around the world now, national parks, marine protected areas, those great African parks where people go on safari or a, a park in Indonesia or South America or wherever, those places are often only, um, their upkeep comes from money that tourists pay as an entrance fee. So we mustn't forget that. And I know when people don't go to these places and when we didn't during the pandemic, these places have taken a massive hit and they've had more logging, they've had more land grabbing, um, they've had more poaching and fishing. So travel is absolutely vital for protecting wild places and iconic creatures. We have to make it greener, definitely. We have to make it much greener. I think, think we're nowhere near that yet and we need to be constantly reminded of that. But let's remember what it gives us and gives back as well. And my 11-year-old, what on earth is he going to do? I, have, I, I honestly don't know. I think it's very possible that right now, we're living in a time when travel is more viable than it has been before and potentially will be in the future. I know the world is changing. I see it changing with my own eyes. Even during the time I've been traveling, I've been in places where the peaks are melting, the rivers are flowing more violently, the floods are coming more aggressively, the droughts are lasting longer. The planet is changing and it's gonna hit us here as well. Are we gonna be able to travel the way we do now in the future? I honestly don't know. I'm not imposing anything on my 11-year-old anyway. If he never wants to travel, that's fine with me. I've got one child. I intend to keep him quite close and I might lock up his passport for a while. You wouldn't go on adventures together? We do, Yeah, actually. And that's, I think, I had a little bit of a, I mean, I sob, not sob, but I shed a tear quite a lot. I'm quite an emotional type. I haven't been hardened by you know, the experiences I've had. I've been, I'm a sort of emotional wreck, to be honest. But I did have quite a moment just two weeks ago. Goodness, I was in Kenya. I took my lad on a safari to one of the conservancies next to the Maasai Mara. And, you know, I grew up in 
very normal family in West London. I didn't get on a plane until I was an adult. I didn't go on fancy foreign holidays. I was a school dropout. I don't have a right to the life I lead now, but I'm very happy with it. And the fact I was able to take my lad there and we did a species count at one point. We did it several times actually, but just where you do a 360 around and you see what's on the great African plain around you. And there were 12 different large iconic species. It was like the Garden of Eden. It was staggering. And that's an experience I would never imagine I would be lucky enough to have. And I can't believe I was able to share it with my son. So we've had cement adventures. Hopefully we'll have more. So one of the questions that I ask on the podcast to every guest is, okay. and this may be really difficult for you to answer. What's the best answer you've had? Let's hear the question first. I think though, the best yeah? answer is probably my answer, which is always <laughs> going to be the same country. But <laughs> the question I always ask is, which place in the world has captured your heart the most? So mine is Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. Right. But where is yours? Mm. I'm drinking slowly so I can think about it. <laughs> it's such a tough one. Um, yeah, I've been to something like 130 countries and I don't, I remember everything about every single one of them and they've all been wonderful. They've all been astonishing. Even the tricky conflict ridden ones have had, uh, beauty and inspiring people living there who I've really left with memories, but you're twisting my arm. Ow, ow. <laughs> so I've got to come up with one. Um, I'm going to say Madagascar. Okay. Madagascar has knocked me sideways in every possible way. It's astonishing. It's very unlike anywhere else. The people there are quirky and eccentric and brilliant and friendly. They have bonkers, wonderful food. They have strange, magnificent customs. And you see sights there, the like of which I've never seen anywhere else on planet Earth, going over hills and seeing uh, cowboys herding a huge herd of horned zebu cattle go over another hill and there's a great plain of spiny cactus sites that you just don't see anywhere and the, the whole place is a astonishing mix of Africa and Asia with a bit of colonial French chucked in there as well so all right you've got me on one Madagascar Perfect, perfect. Simon, thank you so much for taking the time out of your event with Kironi to speak to us. I really appreciate it. It's and a delight. It, yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and getting me to think about some lovely memories because that's what travel is to me. Thank you. Thank you. Simon talks about what he loves the most about travel and that is people. And just like us, he loves to share stories about people and places. And it's those interactions and memories that stay with us long after we've returned from our travels. Thinking back to previous episodes of the podcast, where our guests have shared memories from broken down buses on the side of the road, being one of the most memorable experiences from someone's trip, to the hustle and bustle of street markets and food tasting around the world, and to having a bath under the stars while on a safari in Africa. These are the moments that truly stay with us. And this is why we bring you this podcast, to be able to share these stories to inspire you to travel and explore the world. I'm Abby, and thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of Passport 2, People and Places. Look out for our next episode, where we'll be talking to more guests about the people and places that have inspired them the most. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please do get in touch. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.